Hi, I'm Chris Kinney. And I'm Jeff Moore. And you're in the Music Business Lounge, your source for the insight you need from the industry's best and brightest. We've got some great stuff for you today, so let's hop right in. guest today is Billy Johnson Jr. Billy is a former senior editor for Yahoo Music. He was the editor for 18 years, and he's been covering hip-hop, R&B, and pop music since 1991. He's interviewed the likes of Beyonce, Janet Jackson, Quincy Jones, Kanye West, Eminem. The list goes on and on. His work has also been featured in Vibe, Entertainment Weekly, The Hollywood Reporter, The Source, and so many other outlets. Billy has also appeared as a music expert on ABC, Fox, BET, CNN, and a whole lot more. Uh, Billy's based in Los Angeles with his wife and their set of boy and girl twins. Billy, we are so pumped to have you. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh, man, I'm waving my hands, you know, Raising the roof. Thank, thank you guys for having me on. I'm really excited. And grateful. It's our pleasure. Absolutely, man. And you've, uh, you know, just in that bio I read, you have so much experience uh, in this industry, and uh, we can't wait to dive into it and hear about you and your story. So, with that, uh, with with that being said, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about sort of your beginnings, getting into the industry, and how you sort of got to where you are. Give us a little bit of your background and, and, and your story. Wow. Thank you guys uh, again so much. So it just in a nutshell, it, I attribute a lot of it to just home life. Um, my dad is a musician. My dad ironically just passed in February. I'm sorry. To and, sorry oh, so that's a you know terrible blow. Thank you for that. But um, he was just such a huge influence in terms of my embracing music. Um, at his funeral, I told the story about, oh, I, I go on to these long tangents. But when Please. I was in the first grade, um, this is the first time I knew how deeply connected I was to music. In the first grade, my teacher said to the class, there's this guy who has a song about his daughter. I can't, uh, what is the name of this song? And I said, um, Stevie Wonder, Isn't She Lovely? <laughs> and you know something? Like, even though I knew the song because we had the album in the house and everything, honestly, I don't think I ever knew that the song was about his daughter. But the way that she described it, I just immediately put it together. And I just mm -hmm. remember the reaction on her face. She gave me a look like, oh, my gosh, how in the world did you know who I was talking about? And it was just <laughs> so matter of fact. So just my parents had every album you could want, the soul record from the 70s in the house. That was my pastime. My brother and I, we thumbed through the records and just find, you know, we'd listen to the records. We put them on the record player and we listened to like three seconds of each song until we found like the songs that we loved. And so that helped me, you know, as a music critic later on in my career, be able to recognize a hit single um, or the songs that stand out pretty quickly. And so, so cool. it's just really interesting how these things just kind of naturally evolved. But my dad had bands. He was always a band leader. They always had rehearsals at our house. So I was just consumed with music. I love Soul Train and all these dance shows, Dance Fever, and all this stuff, music-related stuff on TV in um, the 70s and the 80s. And so I think I just got it naturally. So I was uh, originally enrolled in college as a computer science major because I love technology. was doing well in my computer science classes. Math and science, not so much. So um, <laughs> at the end of my I'll freshman year, you know, okay, well, thank you. I feel bad by admitting to that, but, you know, it's the truth. 
But uh, at the end of my first year in college, I looked at my transcripts. It's like, what am I doing well in? Because this math and science thing, um, you know, it's just not really working. And I saw that it was English, you know, speech. Like, I just love these things. I never thought about it as a career. And my professors loved me. They would have me read my essays to the class as an example and, and that kind of thing. And so I just love storytelling. That's something else that I kind of got from the family. So when I was thinking of a new career path, I thought, well, if I'm on the path of writing, it would be pretty cool if I could write about music. And and so once I got on that path, it was my third year in college. So January 1990, the school I went to, the Cal State University school that I went to, was on a quarter system. So second quarter, January 1990, I changed my major to communications. I started interning at the local community newspaper and I got a radio show on the campus radio station. So I've always been really focused. Like I take a long time to think things out, but then once I got it all set in stone, then I just go for it and I just go hard. And that's what I did at that point. And it was, you know, it was the beginning of a great, you know, a great, exciting, you know, exciting career. And uh, so that that was pretty much that. But at the community newspaper, though, uh, they let me do what I wanted to do. So they didn't hire me as an entertainment person. They hired me as a production assistant. And within a year, I said, hey, you know, could I be the entertainment editor? And they said, sure. And so they were already receiving materials from record companies, um, albums and press releases and things. And so I just started picking up the phone, calling up the record labels and saying, hey, uh, I'm Billy Johnson Jr., the entertainment editor from the Black Voice News. Can I interview this artist or can you send me more music? And and then if there is an album that I was interested in that we weren't receiving, I would just go to the record store. I look up the record company on the back. I find if it said New York or Atlanta, wherever the city was based, like TLC um, was just emerging at the time. So I saw that LaFace Records was in Atlanta. So I would, you know, I called 411, gosh, <laughs> you know, I called <laughs> the area code 411 or whatever. And then I would say, can I have the number for LaFace Records in Atlanta? And then I call the record company and say, hi, can I have the department that handles interviews with artists? And wow. I would just talk my way through it. So I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And <laughs> but I just was trying to figure it out as I went along. And any mentor that I could get a hold of at the time who could help me along the way, I would. I asked a lot of questions um, and, and I was just a go getter. Uh, years later, one of my, um, a person, a publicist who was working at a record company who I become really good friends with. She told me, she said, you know, Billy, like back in the day um, when you were working at the community newspaper, we were all just so happy to to connect you with our artists and everything, she said, because we all just loved you. We thought you were just such a nice person. You're so professional. She said it didn't matter that it was a small newspaper, that it wasn't a big national magazine. But, you know, you were just so professional and you really cared. And I, I really like I made perfect clippings of my art articles. I would go to Kinko's mm -hmm. every Friday and like make it look perfect, um, like a publicist would send out. Um, and then I would write a letter. I made my own letterhead. I made my own labels. I would put my clippings in a um, a little portfolio that had clear sheets. I mean, I'm not like trying to pat myself on the back, but over the years, a lot of writers have contacted me to send me examples of their work to see if, you know, I might use them as a writer. Um, sure. Many of them better writers than I am, et cetera. But I've never met anyone who went to I've never come across anyone who 
went to the extremes that I went to in terms of how I presented myself. Now, now can, so, can so I ask was, you about that? Yeah. 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 I, I wonder because you know the the vast majority of people are not are not going to go that extra step and start doing all of that. I think in particular you talking about you having sort of the the guts at that point to pick up the phone, be calling these record com- companies and all this stuff. You you must have seen pe- people around you not doing nearly as much as you were doing. What do you think? Like I, I'm I'm interested to hear. What do you think was the difference between you and the people around you that weren't doing as much of that stuff? I mean, you mentioned, uh, are, are you sort of just like that in all aspects of, of your life, just sort of a, go, a go-getter? In some ways, I am. And ironically, I wish I had the confidence that I had then. I wish I had that. Part. And, but now, we'll, as we'll talk about, I'm kind of in this stage of reinventing myself where I'm tapping into that, um, into that, you know, old guy from, you know, the early nineties. But <laughs> I, I would say then, and what, this was what was really strange. So when I was doing this, this was, is when I was in college. So my classmates who are also communication students, um, most of them were not intending to be, um, journalists. They were, you know, interested in doing other things, but, when sure. I was telling, these are my classmates. We're the same major. We're taking the same classes, the same radio classes, et cetera. I would tell them what I was doing, and they were looking at me like a music editor, or not even a music You want to be a hip-hop editor, really, you know? And how is that working for you, you know? And they just, I mean, I was working at the community newspaper. I made $5 an hour. Many of them had jobs. They were making $10 an hour, and they were just sort of like, like Billy, like, what are you talking about? Like, the, it was really not conceivable to them. Even again, we were classmates, but um, so it was just it was it was different. I mean, some of them are like doing such incredible, you know, things that far uh, surpass what I've accomplished. But but I, I did feel like I was kind of like a black sheep, so to speak. But I think it was a part of my personality. I'm the eldest child. I had a lot of responsibility. Sure. And I always was thinking about the future. Um, I, I love my parents, but I wanted to do things my way. And I saw that doing things my one of the ways to do things my way was to prepare myself. And, you know, I was just striving for excellence. Whatever I saw was excellent is what I was going for. So I was working at the community newspaper, but I was reading the L.A. Times. I was reading L.A. Weekly. I mean, I was reading um, Entertainment Weekly and I aspired to write for those publications. So. I had a period of like being really relaxed in my writing. And then I started thinking, well, if my goal is to write for one of those kind of publications, even though now I'm at a community weekly, I should be striving to take my writing to the next level. So I would use them as models. And then whatever I was learning in class, I was applying it. So I would go to the community newspaper and go, hey, I see we're doing it this way, but I just learned in class today that we should be doing it this way. What do you think of this? And so I just want to apply. I'm always trying to take new things um, and apply them for the for the sake of trying to be better. I can't say that I always achieve that, but that's the goal. That's such, such awesome stuff. What was the process of going from, you know, the, the situation that you just described in college to when you started with yahoo uh or i know that yahoo had been it had previously been uh launch right yes and and, and you were there for a while so i'd love to hear just a little bit about 
uh, how you went from from there to Yahoo. Yes, yes. So just, so I let's see at the community newspaper from ninety to ninety four, and then I got a job at a rap magazine as the managing editor. And while working there, um, after a couple of years, I thought, okay, I want to. I would actually want to go digital because I saw that online was becoming more popular. I started mm. college as a computer science major, so I always had that interest in technology. I wanted to go more mainstream. I didn't want to just cover hip hop. I wanted to be in a place where I could have flexibility to cover R&B and pop and whatever I wanted to. And so I got to the point with the hip hop magazine where I just quit. You know, after three and a half years, I just quit. Yeah. No lie. The next very next day when I came to work, um, the first person I spoke to that day, I, at the end of my conversation with them about business, I said, by the way, this is the last issue of rap sheet that I'm going to do. Um, and they said, what, wow. what's going on? I said, I don't know. I just quit because I'm ready for the next thing. And they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I passed the C-Vest. That's like the California test you have to take to, uh, you know, substitute teach. And I said, oh, so okay. I guess I will substitute teach until I figure out the next thing. And um, the, lady bold, sa- the lady said, the lady said, listen, though, this is crazy. The lady said, she <laughs> said, Billy, yesterday, yesterday being the day that I gave my resignation, she said someone from launch, the editor from launch called and said they just created a position for a rap and R&B editor. Oh, man. We recommended you. However, <laughs> we told them that you loved your job at Rap Sheet so much that <laughs> they would not be able to get you to quit. And I said, <laughs> give me the man's number. I went to the library. <laughs> I went to the library, found the interactive CD-ROM that was launched, you know, and I went to the website and I just was floored. Like, Lord, this is what I've been praying for. Yeah. Um, I called the guy. He said, people... People keep telling me about you. I'm thinking, what? What is this? This is crazy. Because he was calling around asking for a recommendation. And so, like, hey, guess what? Billy Johnson Jr. from college knows how to put together a portfolio. (laughs) (laughs) So I made one of my killer portfolios. I happened to have in there a clip of um, some reporting I had done for Entertainment Weekly about the passing of Tupac. And I had concert reviews for The Hollywood Reporter. You know, I had all these things I'd done for Rap Sheet. So I was showing like I was already tapping into the mainstream kind of coverage thing. And and the guy, yeah. little did I know, he was a former senior editor, um, senior writer for Entertainment Weekly. So he knew my editor at Entertainment Weekly. So like all these things were just aligned. And wow. I got I got an interview and um, he brought he, I, they offered me the job the day of. By the time we did the offer letter and and all that stuff, and I started the job, the start date for the job was within exactly five weeks of the notice that I had given to refs. So wow. um, I, my faith is a really big part of everything. Like I pray and I like I look for direction and, yeah. you know, I just really try to get some clarity there. But that that was it. And then I, and I work. I had the job for 18 years. And that's so that's incredible. pretty crazy. Could you believe that? It's really awesome. What really sticks out to me is, you know, your ability not only to go that extra mile and to create this high quality work, but also your relationship building and that you're just clearly just a cool guy, a friendly guy that people want to engage with, that want to be around. I'd love to hear a little bit from you sort of about, you know, from an artist's perspective or someone that's trying to get 
to get coverage. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of building those relationships and sort of what makes someone appealing for someone like you or someone in the positions that you were in to cover them and to engage with them? Sure. Um, you know, thank you. So I, I really feel like relatability, you know, just on a basic human level is is so important. In a in a group of people, when two people are talking, or how do you make friends? You make friends on things that you based on things you have in common, or something that you admire, or respect, or are interested in about a, another person. And it's really no different than musicians, like our music. Like you uh, connect with music that you either like for um, one particular reason, or you either like the artist, or you like the way they sound, or you like the content of their songs. Like there's something about it that draws you in. So. From a publicity standpoint, you know, I really feel like artists, like one, they have to create the art that um, is a true reflection of who they are. And the first obligation, in my opinion, is to the art, is that they need to pour their soul into their art. They shouldn't make generic kind of music that, you know, doesn't really reflect who they are. They should really just try to get to the core of who they are. And when you think about, and, you know, and so rap and R&B are like the areas that I, you know, that I just know the most. But Mary J. Blige, for instance, is the queen was quickly identified and embraced as the queen of hip hop soul because people um, at that time, she was singing a lot about pain in the very beginning. But it was such an authentic, you know, kind of pain that people felt like when I was in a terrible relationship, that's exactly how I felt. And so they just identify with her. They identify with the way she looked and the way that she danced and the, her music and and just her voice. And then when she did interviews, like even though she got a lot of flack for like not, you know, being so savvy in terms of being media trained and everything, even though she had gone through all the etiquette, you know, with, you know, one of the, you know, one of the veteran, you know, PR guys in the business who worked with a lot, a lot of people, um, you know, it was just raw. And I think people just love that. They just just love that, you know, it was a different, you know, it was a different um, persona. And um, and so I just really feel like people just have to find where where what is that place for themselves and they just need to delve into it so even though you you take a chris brown who in my opinion if i were to consult him i would want to talk him out of being so crazy and off the wire all the time same about kanye west i would encourage him them not to be that way because i just feel like it brings so much negativity to them and it it really deflects from their art and it makes some people hate them makes a lot of people hate them However, I feel like in a lot of ways, that is who they are at their core. So that's mm. another that's why the other people like them, you know, so it is an honesty, you know, it's a transparency, good, bad or ugly. And I think they're just being who they are. So I do think that it has worked for them. It has hurt them in a lot of instances as well. But I think in terms of their artistry, you know, it's really it's really helped. And so be able, to be able to pour that into the music, I think it's just that's the first step. That's like the absolute first thing that has to happen. Like they just need to make authentic music because that's just a great foundation for press because one, it gives us something to talk about, you know, like when it's generic, I say us because I'm on the fence now of being a publicist and still being a journalist. But when I say us, I'm referring to the journalists. Like, you know, we want to talk to people who have relatable stories that are really interesting you know, like that's sure. that's more than just like a surface kind of song that's, you know, so generic that anybody could sing. Obviously, the main point there 
authenticity, being true to yourself and what's at your core. So in your opinion, if someone is like that, an artist thinks that they're, they're in touch with themselves, they have that unique perspective, what to you is the best way to present that? What sort of sticks out as some good practices to be able to catch a, a journalist's eye? Um, I think, you know, the artist also has to remember, you know, it's kind of tough for them because they have to wear so many hats. So they're wearing their creative artist hat when they are recording and making music. But when it comes to um, representing themselves in public, then now they're the business person, you know, so now they're being the salesperson. Mm -hmm. And so they have to be able to go into that mode. You know, they have to be professional. Um, and they have to present themselves like a business. And that's making sure that people um, remember, you know, who they are at the art, as an artist and what they're you know, selling, so to speak. And so I would say one of the biggest um, shocks uh, for me early in my career was, I don't know how into early West Coast rap you are, but there's this rapper, Too Short, um, who... It's known about, you know, known for having misogynistic lyrics. And I mean, he's got this whole um, moniker, short dog, the pimp. And, you know, a lot of songs okay. are about okay. that kind of lifestyle. And, you know, he's just really done well for himself. He's one of like the first people out of the Bay Area to like to sell, be known for selling records out of the trunk of his car and then getting a, a record deal with Jive Records, the same label that signed, you know, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince and Britney Spears and, you know, and all these other you know, really big pop stars. And so he's just doing really well for himself. But his image was just this hardcore, you know, pimp rapper. And so um, when I interviewed him very early in my career, one of the first, you know, in-person interviews that I did, I went to Oakland for one of the fanzines to cover this movie that he was going to be in. And I just knew, I just knew this guy in the songs that every word was an expletive, you know, every, you know, storyline was misogynistic. <laughs> And I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know if I was expecting him to be, you know, like in a fur coat and, you know, sitting inside <laughs> of a Cadillac. But I was really just expecting like the most stereotypical personification of this person. And yeah. and so I go to the studio and I meet him and he couldn't have been more articulate. You know, he couldn't wow. have been more friendly. He couldn't have been more professional. Um, and, and in terms of how he presented, you know, himself as a business person. And I just remember being so shocked by that. And I just think like that is the key. I mean, Nicki Minaj, Drake. Drake is a, another good example, a modern example of that. Come on, how clean cut is Drake? You know, when he does an interview, he's so articulate and he's so likable and he knows how to explain yeah. everything. And you watch an interview and you go, I like that guy. You listen to his songs, you're like, oh, he sings, he raps, and it sounds good. But do you listen to his lyrics? You know, like he's, I mean, there was a, so there was a song that he was playing that's on the radio the other day. I was driving in, this, in the car with my son, and my son goes, yeah. Dad, what is he talking about? And the song is called Blank for Free. And he's basically saying like, hey, my loving's so good. I think, girl, you should pay me for it. You know, I mean, and that's like. That's the gist of this song from Drake. You know, <laughs> I mean, he, can go, he, he can go on the view and sit down with those ladies and they will be fawning all over him and the lyrical content would never come up. Look at Snoop, look, look at Snoop Dogg. By goodness, you know, he, yeah. he, he says that he's an actual pimp. 
Um, and he has a show with Martha Stewart, you know, but the nice, you know, he's a gang. He's like the friendliest gangster rapper, you know, like nobody is, no one is afraid to approach Snoop. The guy was on trial for murder, you know? (laughs) So, you know, like Snoop is brilliant, you know, look at 50 cent the same way. Just the person that 50 cent has killed careers, you know, as a, uh, you know, as a battle rapper, but he's so, you know, he's so likable, you know, as a personality. So, but that's, that's business, you know, like that's, uh, that's business savvy. And, you know, so you have to find that. I would encourage artists, you have to find that. Like your art is one thing, but you have Mm -hmm. to, at the end of the day, you have to be thinking, okay, outside of on stage and performing, I need to present myself in a way that's going to make an executive of a company want to do business with me. And Jay-Z is another example. So I think hip hop has a lot of good examples of guys who, you know, they know the difference of me, the artist and me, the business person. And that's something that they, they would, that care, will carry on into um, sitting down with the media as well. That's right. such good stuff. And, you know, you, you talked a bit about, you know, pr- presenting yourself professionally. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about, you know, mistakes or or trip ups that you see people making in the area of sort of publicity and and trying to get coverage um and sort of how we can make sure we don't fall into those those mistakes what are some if if you might have some like common mistakes that you see artists making when trying to get get media coverage well i think one of the the mistakes of the first one is just I know artists are pulling in so many different directions. I know they get very little sleep. They're traveling and this, that, and other. So I think it's hard to just be on all the time. I mean, someone else is managing their schedule. You even hear artists complaining, like, well, give me a break and that kind of thing. But so with that, I think people can kind of just, you know, be in a zombie mode where they're just kind of going through, you know, most of the time when I've interviewed people, like it's been, it's been fine, but there are, there are enough times where I've interviewed someone and it's like their mind was just someplace else. Most of the, most of the time Mm -hmm. they show up to an interview and they're just sort of like, just whatever you want to know, ask me the question and I'll answer it. If it's a question I'm fine answering. I think that that's completely the wrong approach. It's like, Mm -hmm. if you're, if you have a car to sell, okay. Like look at car salesmen, you know, like hate them for the most part you know <laughs> but, but i mean when you walk on a car a lot you know there might be a couple of niceties exchanged you know about your day and your family but they every opportunity they get to bring that conversation back to a car on their lot <laughs> you know like they're going to do it their intention is for you not to leave without making a purchase um and so i feel mm-hmm. like artists kind of go to interviews like okay whatever you want to know no, you need to be selling your, you know, selling your music, selling whatever product you're there to endorse. And you have to figure out a way to, you know, to do that. So my point is when they come to interviews, as much as they want to be available to answer the questions that the journalist has for them, they should also uh, be making sure that there are certain things about themselves and their product that they're communicating to the journalist because they want that to show up in the story. And so they have to make sure that they figure out a way to be savvy about doing it. And some, mm-hmm. and some of them are really good. It's like, you can ask them a question 
and they always figure out a way to segue it back to their there. So they answer the question <laughs> and then they go. And so that relates to this song on my album, you know, and um, and a lot of times, you know, some it, it is a, a, a slippery slope because sometimes it can be very, you know, kind of over the top and it feels like, OK, my God, you know, can you you know back off a little bit? But at the end of the day, it's their time. They're there, you know, to, you know, increase awareness about whatever it is that they're promoting. And I just feel like they should just be very clear at all times when they're talking to the press that they emphasize, you know, in the most, you know, they emphasize in a right way what it is that they that they uh, that's important for the audience to walk away with. And I don't think that that's taken advantage of. I think a lot of people just kind of go along for the ride because they're they're just ready. They just want to get through it and, and be done. And I think it cycle. It kind of circles back to your whole point of being transparent and being an artist. If you're interviewing someone and they can consistently pull relevancy and and examples that relate back to their music, that that's all the more powerful. So yeah. it's super important. Yeah, I definitely so. think so. They want they need to make sure that people can identify with them. And then media is just so important because um, there are plenty of times, and I, I would imagine you guys would agree with this that. You know, you just happened to see an interview with someone and you were just really drawn by the interview. Like maybe sure. you would have flipped the channel or maybe you would, have, you know, or turn the station or stop reading the story. But something about it just kind of kept you around because you wanted to hear w- what they're going to have next. And then at the end, you're thinking like, oh, you know, I never really paid attention to that person. But now I'm actually more interested or now I didn't know what that song was about. Now I understand the meaning of the song. Like now I'm interested. Like and then the next time you hear the song, you hear it differently because, you know, you heard their explanation of it. And so, you know, it's just really up to the artist to uh, to do what they can to make sure that the audience gets it. And a lot there's been so many times I interviewed an artist about a song and they just put it in context for me. And it just it made all the difference. Um, it made all the difference in the world because um the art itself isn't always clear and it's always up to interpretation. I mean, some people like to leave it that way and let people, you know, interpret it however they want. But I just feel like there's so many opportunities for artists to really bring their um, art to life by, you know, really explaining it, um, explaining it better for their, for their audience. So good being, you know, genuine and caring about your, your answers. Uh, And then definitely, I think another, you know, huge take take away from what you you just said billy is is developing that skill of being being friendly and conversational but also developing that skill of getting back to those points that you want to get across i think that that's that's huge so i just have one more question for you billy and i like to ask everyone this um what is one sort of actionable idea in in your view that our listeners can start getting better at tomorrow well i want to reference um gary vaynerchuk i'm not sure if you guys are fans of gary v our listeners are but so i do know gary yeah, v, yeah. yeah I, I love gary v he's a marketing guy and he has a, a web series the, the, the gary v show daily show absolutely and and he's just he he really is just excellent in communicating these things but what i get from him which i completely agree with is just it's basically go for it you know it's this You can sit around and you can talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, but you really just need to be actionable and make things happen. So whatever it is you want to do, you just a lot of times you just have to jump in the water. I definitely agree. Preparation is so important. And I'm that person 
you know, but sometimes you could just stay in a place of like overthinking and just not really doing anything. So I would just say whatever it is that you want to do, you have to go for it. I didn't really talk about too much about how today I'm working as a publicist a lot. Um, after I was laid off from Yahoo last year um, and figuring out what I was going to do next, people just started asking me, well, you have all this media experience or, you know, do you do publicity? And um, every job that I had pretty much just kind of fell into my lap or or just came kind of naturally, very organically. And this is that this has been that thing. And I just allowed myself after, you know, 20 plus years of being a music journalist to say, like, well, you know, I'm in a different space now. I'm in a transition. Why don't I just try it? And I just kind of just walked into the situation. And, and it, it, as much as I love being a journalist and I still do a lot of journalistic writing, I'm really enjoying, enjoying being on the other side and really helping artists strategize and come up with ways to uh, present themselves to the media and then contacting media on their ha behalf to uh, secure coverage is really an incredible experience. And I'm, I'm making good strides doing it in the last eight or nine months. And uh, but it's an, it's an example of like, OK, you know, like I was doing something different yesterday an opportunity came up and I was interested in it and like, OK, let me try it. And I just walked right into it. So just less, you know, you're always going to have ideas. You're going to talk about it, but like really put it into action, you know, pick up the phone, call people for help, research, you know, and just try it. Like, you know, you have Absolutely. to you have to immerse yourself in whatever it is that you want, you know, you want to be in. And I've got to say, you, you know, you say, you know, stuff happened organically or fell into your lap. But definitely something that I've taken away from what you've you've been saying is, um, you know, you have to put in that hard work, that effort to get yourself into a position where stuff can, you know, happen organically or fall in into your lap. And I think you're you're living proof of that with your success. But, uh, you know with your publicity work now, I'd love for you to tell us, um, you know, where can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you online? Where can they engage with you? Let us know how to get in touch with Billy Johnson Jr. Yeah, well, thank you. So I try to keep it simple. I love social media. So my social media handles across the board are at Billy Johnson Jr. So that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, you could find me there. And then um, the media company that I have is called Media and Repertoire. And so I have uh, Media Repertoire. It's the social media handles for those. And I'm still developing them, you know, as I'm new in this Absolutely. space now. But yeah, but at Billy Johnson Jr., I love social media. So please just reach out to me and I would love to, um, you know, follow you back and, and see, you know, if there's anything um, that I could help out with. I would, would love to. So, yeah, just give me give me a shout yeah, guys, and we will absolutely put all uh, of Billy's contact information in our show notes and our in our podcast description. So check those out and connect with him. Billy, you are the man. Absolutely a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, man. Uh, Chris and Jeff, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, guys, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, make sure to like, subscribe, and let us know what you think. You can find expanded interviews and articles at musicbusinesslounge.com, or you can connect with us directly on Twitter at MBL Podcasts.